Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We're going to talk about bringing the past to life by using archived films and how we can create kind of these living memories to really engage and build a sense of community and connection. But before I introduce you to our guest today, I always just like to uh, remind people to please check out alzheimerspeaks.com. You can get so many free resources there. We have an archive uh, page of many different things. So from the radio shows to dementia chats, to memory cafes, to dementia in the arts, uh, dementia-friendly communities, some tools that you can use, et cetera. So please check us out there. And while you're on Alzheimer's Speaks, don't forget to check out our book tab and look at Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care. The other shout out I want to give is to Dementia Map, which has over 150 different categories that you can search, lots of great resources. Uh, again, free to, free of charge. Uh, neither site is going to ask you for personal information. So just uh, go tap into that. Let's go and introduce you to our guest now. Well, Brian, I am so excited to have you on the show. We've been planning this for quite a while. And like everything, life kind of takes over at times. So a first of all, welcome uh, for, for being able to be with us on the show. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Laurie. I'm equally enthusiastic and excited. Wonderful. Do you mind just introducing yourself? You can do a much better job than I can. Yes, my name is Brian Norris, and uh, I have spent my most of my career working as an international media lawyer in the film, television, and media worlds. Um, part of my career with the American film industry, and then in later years, running my own boutique consultancy around the world. Uh, but more recently, uh, over the last really 15 years almost, uh, I have been a social entrepreneur uh, and it really developed out of, uh, again, my background and the recognition that um, there were all sorts of interesting ways to use archive film with older people. And so you are now the founder of Living Memories, which is what we're really going to highlight today, which I'm excited to talk about. So uh, first, thanks for creating that. And I think people are going to see um, as we talk why this is such an important endeavor and how it's changed <clears throat> people's lives. Yes, it's um, certainly having an impact in not only the ways that uh, my wife and I originally thought that it would, but uh, we're getting interest from all sorts of other uh, parts of society and <laughs> all sorts of different people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going beyond where I thought it would. And uh, we're hoping that it will benefit many, many people, not only in the UK, but around the world gradually. Yeah, I hope it comes to the to the US because it is really powerful. And you know, I always say what's good for dementia is good for basically all of life. And I think with what you've developed, there's so many different ways that that your product can help people and um, help help families. But we'll talk about that as we mm -hmm. go here. Um, I always like to start and ask if you have been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. Yes, um, not in family, but certainly in, in the circle of friends. And that was, in fact, how living memories came to life. 
my wife happens to own a film archive from the 1940s up until the 1990s, which she inherited from her late husband, who was a a well-known documentary film producer in the UK in the post-war years. And um, when when I met her and her husband before he died, um, I was fascinated by that film archive. And when Leonora, my now wife, and I started living together, she was already living in Cornwall in an isolated location in North Cornwall in the UK, a um, very rural area. And when I moved into the area, it became clear that there were quite a few people who became our friends um, were getting older, as we all do gradually. Um, But they were also living in isolation, uh, both because the, the, the nature of the geography of North Cornwall is quite wild and uh, very rural and it was also the fact i think that they were having people living on their own um their partner probably having died a few years earlier and as they got older there was not much for them to do uh they had no choice but to have their own car uh to get into town which was six miles away from where we were living and uh as they lost the capability of driving uh, through loss of eyesight or whatever, they became more withdrawn. And many of our friends were getting into a state where we were getting concerned about them. And we we finally realized, (laughs) took perhaps longer than it should have done, to recognize that many of the archive films that... um, we had available could be of direct interest to older people, uh, people who were born during the Second World War or after the Second World War or maybe even before the Second World War. And so we began to show one or two of the films to um, some of the friends and it was immediately obvious that they were stimulated by by what they saw at it didn't seem to matter which of the films we looked at. They're mostly information films from those eras. Some of them were uh, government information films, as they were called, which are, were really propaganda-type films from the wartime. Um, and many other types of programs from the, the 1940s onwards. Um, and the possibilities for using the films for the broader range of older people began to form in our minds. And we started looking beyond our local community uh, and thinking, well, there are probably things here we could do with older people and with young people as well. So we started talking to the local schools and they were interested in us beginning to work with them to put together some educational material, taking clips from some of the films. Uh, I remember one of those projects was about respect for other people, uh, which was quite an interesting exercise because it was possible to go back to the 1940s, let's say, or the 1930s, and choose clips from some of the films in uh, Leonora's archive and the way that people behave towards towards each other was very different in those days. People were much more formal, etc. Uh, probably they were black and white films as well. Uh, maybe it was an office scene or even a shop scene in a grocer's store or something. Um, and so Leonora, I remember, spent about 40 hours going trawling through a whole hundreds of films to find clips that could be used. And these came together in, uh, in a video, which um, the, the format of which was determined by the students in the school. Uh, 
So we went in and said, here we are. We've got about 40 clips for you, and it's up to you to decide how we put these all together. Let's discuss how it should be done. And so that process went on and ended up with with an educational DVD at the time it was, uh, together with a printed reminiscence with a guide to show them uh, with topics to discuss and questions to ask, etc. And then we began to think about the possibility of getting students to sit down and interview older people. So we taught them how to do interviews, both audio and video interview with with the school or through the school and through uh, various scout and guide groups and other organizations. And so we then got into a project working with the Truro, which was the the main city in Cornwall, uh, through the public library. They had a lot of public records relating to the wartime period. So we put a project together which uh, was about evacuees to Cornwall during the Second World War, when there were thousands of children who came to live in Cornwall, coming from London and other cities in the UK to uh, take them away from the risks of the bombing, etc. And so we put a project together uh, with some of our archive films and the interviews with uh, people who had been evacuees or who had hosted evacuees during the war. That was very successful. Then we thought, well, maybe because there were our these organizations in the UK called memory cafes in numerous communities where uh, those living with dementia uh, and their carers come together uh, every couple of weeks, perhaps, or once a month, and they sit together and do crafts and chat about various activities and memories, etc. And we thought, well, maybe our films might be useful for them. And so we spoke to the people who organized all the memory cafes across Cornwall at that time. And that was about, I think there were about 30 memory cafes. And they said, wow, when they saw the films, we'd love to have access to these. And they then ask you, was was Norms McNamara one of one of the people that you talked to? Because I know he used to live in Devon and Cronwell, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He yes, he was in Devon, I'm I'm aware of. I haven't seen him, uh was not aware that he had been in Cornwall. Um but I could I could be mistaken. I just remember those two very active in. Yes, yes, definitely. Um but he he was not not involved in this. But we 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 were introduced by uh, to the person in the the health service in in Cornwall mm-hmm. who was in charge of all long term conditions, including dementia. And uh, we showed her several of the films, and she was equally blown over and said, "Look, you've got to see." how we might be able to use these films most effectively with with uh, in the memory cafes and in care homes etc in cornwall since we were living in cornwall which is a very very large uh county in the uk in the southwest tip of the uk and very spread out um and total isolation in <laughs> pretty well across cornwall and so we were encouraged um, to spend a couple of years actually visiting all the memory cafes, uh, care homes, and community hospitals and other organizations uh, working with older people across Cornwall. And so uh, Leonor and I visited many of them and were just amazed. Um, by the responses that we received, um, we would go go along to these groups, which were held sometimes in in cities like Truro, or in small communities 
uh, on the moors um, where there was no Wi-Fi or anything at all that one could use other than a projector and uh, 16mm uh, projector and screen. Um, and so we got the films out and we showed them. Uh, if there were DVD facilities, we would use those. Uh, and in every case, there were maybe 20 to 30 people present. Um, and I would say almost in every case, at the end of each session, there would be, we'd have the chat with the person who was running the, the group. And they would say, that's the first time Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so has ever spoken in, in our group. And it was because there was something in the film that they had seen that reminded them perhaps of something in their, their mum's kitchen or, you know, just something that triggered, triggered the memories, just as, of course, music does and sense do to us all, I think. And um, it just confirmed that there was, there was potential for us trying to develop something out of the, uh, the archive that we had. So at the end of this two-year period, we decided that the most effective thing for us to do was to begin to put together DVDs some topic-based DVDs. But what we'd also realized along the way in visiting the various organizations was that they were quite logically being run by younger people, uh, so people from a different generation to uh, those that were enjoying the reminiscence. And therefore, the younger person maybe would not be aware of the sort of questions to ask because they didn't have the background in what it was like to, to live in the 1930s, 40s or 50s or 60s. Um, and sometimes if we mention the word twin tub washing machine, um, younger people had no idea, you know, what we were talking about and all sorts of, you know, things which those of us who are somewhat older uh, would take for granted didn't mean anything to, to some younger people. So I spent, um, I initially created one reminiscence guide. Uh, the idea being, uh, if I hold this up for a moment so we can see what we've got here, we created uh, a reminiscence guide here and we put the DVDs in just inside the cover. And then we have pages allocated to each of the film clips that we have on the DVDs with asking, suggesting questions that can be asked once people have watched that particular film clip, clip on the uh, DVD and suggesting also topics to discuss. Uh, and including other background information in the reminiscence guide, for example, television, what were the popular television uh, programs on in the, uh, in the 1950s and 60s in the UK? What were some of the well-known feature films that were in that era? Just to give scope for people to chat about other things as well once they'd watched the the film pieces of film on the DVD, and the we realised that it wasn't necessary to have necessarily a long film. Uh, many times the, the film clips are, might be ten minutes long, some even shorter. Cinema commercials we've got which are much shorter, uh, much longer than the ones are today, but <laughs> still still not very long, and. Uh, that's all that's required to stimulate the memories and get the conversations going. So we created this first DVD uh, with the reminiscence guide, and we sent it out to about 100 
different organizations and said, look, this is what we've created. Please, can you give us your feedback, which they did very kindly. And it was mostly constructive feedback, which we were able to incorporate in the final version of the DVD. And then we created several more DVDs and um, we were invited to uh, put the DVDs forward for the Nursing Times Awards in, I think it was 2017. And we were selected as finalists, which we were very pleased with because uh, we were up against primarily uh, national health service hospital groups and all sorts of things. And there was our little not-for-profit organization <laughs> um, coming along and uh, competing with them. So we were pleased with that. But that led to another challenge, which was that uh, some of the care home groups and some, we met some senior National Health Service executives, and they said, we love the work you're doing, but we would very much like it if you could make the, the archive films available on, online for streaming, which, of course, was something that was in the back of our minds anyway, but um, you really need a lot more films to be able to do that. And from my perspective, you would need... Uh, quite a sophisticated streaming platform to be able to do it. So this all happened just at the point when we were thinking of moving from Cornwall uh, to Devon uh, to, be, to get much, quite a bit closer to, to train services and uh, closer to stores rather than having to drive six hours to get to uh, six miles to get to a store. We live only five minutes from a store now in our little village. Um, and so we had to put the project on hold for a couple of years while we sold our house, got settled in to the new house eventually, and after I had a heart attack. So I had to recover from that. And then I started looking looking at potential streaming platforms that we could use. And that was not an easy task because I had many, I listed all sorts of criteria that we would have to uh, be able to use a streaming platform effectively. And I was very fortunate eventually at the end of 2019 to meet the founder of an organization called Imogen, which has created a very interesting technology that is being used by major media companies and by sports organizations to store their audio and video data and other types of metadata. And when I sat down and talked with the founder of this company, whose name is Tony Blake, um, he immediately understood my objectives because he was also very much involved in the archive film industry. And so he said that uh, Imogen would be very interested to work with us and help us to adapt their technology to meet our needs. Uh, and this conversation had taken place at the end of 2019, and we agreed in February 2020 that we would begin to work together, and then we were faced with COVID. And so that put a different spin on everything, of course, uh, because we soon were soon faced with lockdown, having to work from home, not get together with anybody. And so I had to first find out how to use the Imogen platform, streaming platform, how we could adapt it to fit in with our own needs, and then to figure out how we were going to use content on it um, 
in both in general terms, but also specifically, I had to learn how to download films from collections and then upload them to this platform, uh, add all the related metadata, etc. Um, and this led us to think, well, there was no way that we could just use the many hundreds of archive films to which we already had access, but we needed to have a much broader range of content available to us. And thanks to both the contact, contacts that Leonora and I had, but also particularly thanks to Tony Blake um, and his contacts, we were able to enter into agreements with organizations with archive film collections, such as the Imperial War Museums, uh, Bewley National Motor Museum in the UK, Reuters, uh, which has very kindly given us access to their entire archive, uh, going back over 100 years. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yes, a lot of that isn't isn't video, but it is uh, all sorts of fascinating newsreels and other other content, um, which is equally relevant for people in this country and, and many countries around the world. Um, but many other organisations like Screen Ocean, AP, um, and various companies that have specialist collections and they have made the content available to us uh, for worldwide uh, streaming only we are not allowed to download content and as a an international copyright lawyer i'm very concerned to make sure that uh, we stick within the boundaries of what is legally acceptable um so what we began to do uh, once we'd reached the agreements with these organizations was that we started the downloading and uploading. And I had recruited two people who worked with me for almost two years during the COVID lockdown um, to begin to build the platform content and um, that we completed really in 2022 uh, as far as we could get uh, to have a, a viable range of content. And we now have close to 2,600 titles on there, uh, which cover, uh, we've broken it down into categories of topics and it's broken down, I would say, into about 35 key topics. And there are many subtopics. And the great thing is that the Imogen platform has very sophisticated search capabilities. So we, when we have uploaded each film onto the platform, we have immediately done a speech-to-text conversion and that text is then provided in the form of subtitles on the films, but it also goes directly into the search engine, uh, which means that if you do a search on the platform, uh, it means that if your topic that you're searching for is actually on one of the videos on the platform, then you will be taken directly to that piece of content on the platform. Um, wow. So. You know, it's amazing. I, even just when you were talking, going from DVD to online and also dealing with, you know, the younger population that doesn't know kind of history and context yes. of what they're seeing. So I love that you pulled together the guides um, to help people and, and, you know, help kind of set fire to that conversation and that engagement. I think that's so important. And, you know, not only are you engaging people with dementia, but what a great learning tool for those that are facilitating and learning history and a little bit about culture and, and how people 
engage and what's important to them over time. I think those are big lessons that are being taught as well through through your process. Um, when you were talking about converting to online, I just thought of how much it has changed even over the years of you know, the technology they're using and the numbers of platforms that are out there. I mean, it's just like this constant web out there. I don't know how you sorted it all through. <laughs> yes. No, it's, I mean, to, to me, it's fascinating because I started my career in the American film industry or international film industry in 1972 when I joined uh, Cinema International Corporation in Amsterdam, and that was set up by Paramount and Universal and became the world's largest film distribution company and is now called U uh, United International Pictures. And at that stage in 72, there was just cinema and television. And then as my career developed, um, we began to see the arrival of the video cassette and video discs and then cable television, satellite television, etc., etc. The internet, uh, streaming platforms, as you say. Um, and I had been very fortunate in having spent my entire career in the development of, of all these different technologies. So I feel very at home dealing with them and and having the opportunity to taking advantage of of the changes um at this late stage in my in my career um and it is i think it, so interesting that uh, as you allude to that the fact that what we've created is really a, a snapshot of certainly UK social history on the platform. It goes much wider than just UK because there is a lot, quite a lot of foreign content on the platform. Um, but it's also being used, I've discovered, by some people who uh, are homeschooling their, their children. And so it's great, as you suggest, for for getting a picture of what history was like in social history was like or the way the way our lives worked in <laughs> rather differently in decades gone by and uh, it's i think a great opportunity for many of us just to dig dig back into what life was like in the past the biggest challenge we have now is that I think we've we've got a good range of content for people who are very familiar with having grown up in the UK in the in the 1950s 60s um but what we are now focusing on is how we can bring together a lot more content for people from diff different ethnic backgrounds and communities who live in the UK at the moment uh, and have done probably for, for years, who, as they get older, their minds think back to probably to the country in which they were born, if they weren't born in the UK. Uh, and so we're beginning to reach out to various other countries uh, to their national archives and other possible sources to see if we can build uh, a good range of content that will be of interest to, well, for example, my wife who was born in Germany uh, and has spent half her life in the UK, but as she thinks of her younger years, as we all do as we get older, I think, um, you know, her mind goes back to life in life in Hamburg. Um, and so we're, you know, we're beginning to talk now with uh, an organization called Common Age, which is uh, a Commonwealth, British Commonwealth organization that um, is concerned to represent the 
the interests of people who are living with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia across the Commonwealth. And importantly, I think, to begin to record the life stories of older people uh, in different Commonwealth countries. And one of the great things is that the Imogen platform not only has the capabilities that I've just been describing to you that we're using at the moment, but it also has the the possibility of being adapted in many ways that um, will meet our needs so we can also upload all sorts of audio and video content from other sources and make them available and we would be a great resource for uh, people's life stories as well. Um, we That's can all... fantastic. It's, uh, it, you know, I, I love the expansion because, you know, when you're talking about this community or that community, everyone does have different triggers and their their culture and their their backgrounds make such a big difference. And, you know, today I know here in the U.S., I mean, you know, politically, people are trying to squash true history. And it's kind of yes. like, come on. Everybody has a right to their own history and yes. what that meant to them. And it's in, it, to me, it's a very, very important piece of who we are and who, who we've become. Um, you know, our past is very important. And, and so I, I like that you're really looking at expanding that to make it whole and accessible and engaging to, to everyone. Yes. Because there's something we can learn from each other's history. Absolutely. And to me, yes. I think that that's very, very important. Yes. Yes. And I, I've been fortunate in that I spent some years working frequently in the Caribbean, for example, uh, working with the development of digital uh, technology in, in the, some of the island, Leeward and Wynwood Islands, particularly. And so I become have some familiarity with with stories about life in in the islands and there are now so many um, Caribbean diaspora uh, where in the UK particularly and in the States and in many other countries as well. And I would love to bring together an archive of content on living memories online that would be of value to people who are interested in the Caribbean, for example. Mm -hmm. and they could be sitting anywhere in the world, you know, <laughs> Um, and they would have access to the platform, and that is, um, you know, that is possible now um, because the platform is available worldwide. Um, we've we Living Memory CIC is a not-for-profit organisation uh, incorporated under UK law, and any uh, our aim is is to cover cover the costs that we have to pay. Uh, obviously, certain core costs for for platform for licenses, etc., um, and have to engage uh, people to work with us. And I'm afraid that thanks to the problems related primarily to COVID, but not exclusively, it is quite difficult now. We find to get volunteers to. Uh, to work with us so i think it's only appropriate that uh, in these particular economic times as well that uh, we we are able to pay people who who provide services for us and work with us but um with the technology that we're using we can we can have people anywhere who can work with us and we have one person who started working with us about three years ago and she was then living in the UK she's now living in the states and she's still working with us part-time so um, you know we're we we could say we're truly international we have a very small core team but uh, it's an international core team well that's fantastic and I you know 
I just think it's important that everybody understands what it is you're doing and and what it offers. And I also think it's sad that it's harder to get volunteers. You know, I was hoping with COVID, people kind of came out of the woodwork anyways over in the U.S. and seemed to really understand the need for volunteerism and and what they got out of it. And I was hoping that that would continue afterwards. But boy, people go back to their their old routines real quickly, (laughs) which is too bad because I, I, to me, I think that's one of the things the world is missing right now is that sense of community and doing something because it's the right thing to do, not just because you're getting paid to do it. Yeah. I think that there's a, a, a big lack right now in, in that. And I think it shows in society as a whole. Yes. Treat one another and what we value. Well, I just, like I said, I, I am so impressed with what you're doing. Is there, is there anything else that you're looking at doing in the future here? I mean, it's, it looks like you're just looking at expanding more and more all the time. No, I think what we, what we've also done is, I mean, we've, we've been creating living memories online mm-hmm. um, and we started out with the DVDs as we've discussed. And I think it's worth mentioning that although some people say, well, you don't need the DVDs now, you've got the online platform, but that in fact is proving not to be the case because there are still quite a lot of people who don't want to use the internet, they don't trust it, or they don't have the capability of uh, understanding it. Um, There are also quite a few locations, certainly in the UK, I can't speak for other countries, but uh, in the UK, there are locations where there is no uh, Wi-Fi access, Uh, This applies, I know, in quite a number of care homes uh, where they're in older buildings with very thick walls and therefore it's not always easy to to penetrate those walls with the Wi-Fi signals and they haven't been set up to yet to adapt to fit to have access fully. Um, So the, the DVDs are still relevant. Uh, and are also a good backup because we have cases now where, I mean, we've had a very good relationship with the Abbeyfield Care Home uh, Society uh, across the UK since we started the project. And um, the late chairman of um, Abbeyfield Society in the UK and internationally uh, became a great champion for the work that we were doing. But very sadly, he died um, unexpectedly a couple of years ago. And um, we know, we, fortunately, our relationship with Abbeyfield has, has continued. And Paul Bolt, um, who works with Abbeyfield, but also is a fellow director of Living Memories CIC. Um, he has ensured, and Abbeyfield has ensured, that they had the capability of helping us to develop our tea and memories reminiscence groups. Because when uh, Leonora and I moved to the village we're living in now, uh, which is called Colleton, uh, when we arrived, we got to know the area it's got a population of something over 2000 Um, and we realized that quite a few of those residents were older people who lived on their own and weren't going out very much even before covid and so in 2018 we decided to start a group in the village um offering to show the archive films to to group to a group which we call tea and memories uh reminiscence group and so we put up posters on the telegraph poles in the village which is the standard way of advertising in Colleton. so we got our drawing pins out 
and stuck stuck the posters up. And uh, we were getting about 20 to 25 people for every meeting, aged between 60 and over 100. And we would get together, sit around uh, the table and watch one or two short archive films. And then the conversation would, we didn't have to stimulate the conversation. It just flowed. And um, so we would just sit, have tea and biscuits and and lots of memories. And the great thing was that uh, we found that having those people sitting around the table, uh, they may well have known each other by sight. Even in a small community, you don't know everybody. Uh, and you know some people by name and others you just say good morning to. Um, and by sitting down together around the table and talking about memories, uh, we found that some some people discovered that their neighbor who lived maybe down the street um, was actually born in the same area of South London as they were. And so what we we say now, you know, we're creating memory buddies. <laughs> oh, that's great. And those those little connections um, make such a huge difference in somebody's life. I mean, they fill their yes. soul and, you know, they just blossom. Yes. And so, yeah, they, they then have the opportunity of, you know, they can get together mm-hmm. uh, outside the meeting and they can go for a coffee together or invite each other, you know, to to pop around for a, a cup of tea and a, and a, a scone, a scone, <laughs> um, and share their memories of their younger years. The other thing that, um, so we started that as a pilot project and that has now been taken up by, by the Abbeyfield Care Home Group um, and they're setting up tea and memory groups in, in uh, their care homes and beginning to invite local residents in to join them in some of those groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an example of Living Memories Online um, of one of our tea and memory groups. Uh, there's a short video about that, which I can show you in a moment, just how to come to it. And um, what we're also, I'm just thinking about the possibility that we have a pilot project, which we call Living Memories at Home or Tea and Memories at Home, uh, because we found that there are people who simply cannot get out of their homes because of certain disabilities to come and join us uh, in a community group in the in the town town hall or, or ta- village centre. Uh, so what we we're hoping we can do is to train some uh, two or three people to run reminiscent sessions and then they can go with a with a tablet digital tablet and take them to people's homes mm-hmm. and run a reminiscent session for the people in their homes and that person uh, can then invite several of their neighbors to join in the group if they want to and so they can have a mini reminiscence group as well uh, so that's where we're think we're calling that tea and memories at home and we've run a couple of pilot uh, sessions of that and that has worked very well for particularly for uh, so far the pilots have been with people with who've developed dementia are no longer able to come to our community reminiscence group but they're happy to be in their home and have two or three neighbors come in and join them uh, to watch the films and then chat about things. Oh, nice! That's that's, gosh, what a nice, diverse, you know, well-rounded program you have mm-hmm. to be able to reach people. Yes, and the the idea with the Tia Memories Group, and I think with the uh, with the Teen Memories at Home concept, mm-hmm. is that we develop those as social franchises, mm-hmm. and that means that there's 
there's no interest in trying to make lots of money out of this. This is really to, you know, for communities to take the project on. Um, we will be able to help them to set up the group and then there'll be newsletters and they will have the possibility of joining up with other groups around the country or in other countries because one of the benefits that I haven't mentioned of Living Memories Online is that you have the capability of setting, when you go in and you watch the films, then if, you, if there's one or more that you are either personally very interested in or you're planning a reminiscence session and you, on a given topic and you want to say have three or four of those those films on that topic you can add them into your collection and you can build a collection on the platform and if you want to you can send those via email a link to somebody else who is also a subscriber so for example if you have a fam family member uh, an older family member, perhaps, who would be interested in films that we have on the platform about a certain topic, then you could assemble them for them, send them an email, and they'll be able to watch those films then. And you could have a chat with them on Zoom, or you could um, you know, just have a phone call with them after they've watched them and have a reminiscent session about them. And... Um, Okay, so this is the Living Memories online website. Uh, we've created this really, and it's still in development. Uh, the aim is to bring our Living Memories online website together with the store, which gives the capability of buying the DVDs and the reminiscence guides. And um, in the near future, hopefully, we can develop this further. Uh, so if you want to go through to Living Memories Online, you do it this way. Um, and you can obviously go back to Living Memories Online on its own. So if, you, if you're interested in seeing how living memories online is is developing generally uh then you would come to livingmemoriesonline.com uh which is still in development and is designed to bring together our various resources and services um so at the moment what we have on here is you if you click on living memories online that takes you to the streaming platform for anybody who wants to look at the uh, two and a half thousand plus archive films for reminiscence or if you want to look at uh, some of the dvds you can see them here and you can buy them um what we're also doing is looking at, I mean, we have here brief details about, about our work in developing the Tea and Memories reminiscence groups. What we're also look, looking at at the moment is expanding the possibility of not only using Living Memories Online, but also separately from Living Memories Online, we see that there are still a lot of people who would love to have the opportunity to chat with others about life in the past, maybe on a, on a specific subject, but they can't get out of their home. They maybe would rather meet with people elsewhere. And so we're looking into the possibility of developing our living memories work into a, a form of tea and memories online, um, which would mean that we're running reminiscence sessions online for people anywhere. So if we will set up a system where anybody maybe once a month would like to get together with 
other people with similar interests and we would watch a couple of archive films and then we would chat about them. So uh, the groups that we're talking about probably wouldn't be more than 25 people. Um, and we would share our thoughts after we've watched the archive films and our reminiscences, of course. And that can apply to people from anywhere in the world. So what we've done so far, there was a, a trial group uh, which we ran online, was a reminiscence session involving residents of the care home run by Abbeyfield in Sidmouth in Devon in the UK. And they got together online with residents living in the Abbeyfield care home in Vancouver in Canada. Mm -hmm. And they watched some of the films on Living Memories Online, and then they chatted with each other. Mm -hmm. And that worked very, very well. Um, and so we can, we can run the same concept by saying, you know, you can take, have a, a monthly subscription for a reminiscence session. Um, it will cost you maybe five pounds, let's say. Um, and then you can get together with other people. We'll, we'll watch a couple of films. We'll have some, some notes and you will subscribe to newsletters, etc. And it might be somebody uh, in the UK. It might be lots of people in the UK who are taking part. It might be people from various countries, from the US and UK, because there are so many people who started their lives in the UK and then move relocated to another country around the world, but they're still interested in keeping in touch with people. So um, that we will be including soon, hopefully, uh, details about that in uh, on this livingmemoriesonline.com website. Oh, that'll be wonderful. I, I'm so glad we got together today. I'm, I'm yes. anxious for people to, to learn about your product and all the different benefits that it can have on, on so many different levels. Is there anything else that, that we haven't covered that you'd like to touch on? I know we've been having a while now. No, I think, I think we've, we pretty well covered things. Uh, Laurie, I, I, the only thing I mentioned to you before we started talking, but um, it was, I've just come out of hospital uh, um, was there for about 10 days. And I took the opportunity on several occasions of um, particularly I could identify patients who were in the early stages of dementia, dementia development. And I sat down with them and on one occasion with, with some visitors that this guy had. And we did some reminiscence. And they really enjoyed it. And um, I even got, got a, an email a few days later from one of the visitors to say how much he'd appreciated the, the session because he, the last thing he was, had expected was a reminiscent session when he'd gone to visit an old friend in hospital. But, um, you know, it was, it was welcome. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Well, like I said, there's just so many ways that this can be used. Uh, it, it's just a really a, a powerful, powerful tool. And I think it'll help so many. Um, in wrapping up, I just uh, want to say to our audience, and I hope you found this information with Living Memories with Brian Norris as valuable as I did. And I hope that you will like, click and share and be a giver of hope. No, it doesn't take any time to do that. And so many people need to get connected to so many products and services and tools that are out there, but they just don't know how to find them. And by you sharing this episode, is uh, it can make a really big difference in a lot of people's lives because there's probably a lot of people in your own sphere of influence that are dealing with dementia that you don't even know about because people are still uncomfortable having the conversation and that needs to change. So be a giver of hope, help spread the word. 
And you can always visit them at their website. You can go to livingmemoriesonline.com or you can go to livingmemories.imagencloud.com. They're on Facebook. They are on Twitter, now known as X. I still can't get used to that whole change. And uh, you can also visit Brian via uh, LinkedIn. Just go to Brian Norris one and you can find him there. And uh, again, you know, check it out. Um, Bop around the website, see what you think. Maybe you want to purchase a DVD or maybe you want to subscribe to the online information. Maybe there's a group or a community that you think this would be really valuable to. So, you know, don't be shy about it. We have to share our knowledge once we get it. You know, that's how we build community. That's how we create comfort. Uh, That's how we help people engage and feel purposeful in life. So take that step and uh, help us out and spread the word. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next time. And Brian, again, thank you for all you've done for so many people living with dementia. It's, It's amazing. Thank you for your great work as well, Laurie. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.